text for the message this morning is Luke 7, verses 36 to 50. We'll read this together, page 864, if you'd like to read along. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the, anointment, with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. <clears throat> and he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, sometimes it happens that people commit sins that become public and that change our view of them. David said that as long as he didn't confess his sins, they hung upon him. They, they drained his strength and his excitement for the Lord. That's Psalm 32. We confess the same thing in the Canons of Dort. We talk about the effects of sin in, in our lives when we don't confess them. And so we know what David means when he said that. Sometimes it's even hard for us to speak to another person who has committed a, a sin that was, is known to us without alluding to the fact or adding it into the discussion somewhere. If there's an unforgiven sin in our marriage relationship, it, it sticks to us and not only takes away our own joy, 
but can also make it difficult for our husband or our wife to, to see us like they always remembered us, like it was in the beginning. We see that a person is easily labeled because of their sins and, and often find they are treated differently because of this. No longer is that person just so-and-so, put their, put their name there, but in our minds it's always so-and-so plus this sin or that sin. And in this way some people become pretty ugly, disfigured in our eyes. We come walking with all these sins that we know clinging to them. And sometimes we, we think that way, and if we think about it, we realize that we often have to really struggle to see our brother and our sister as God sees them in Jesus Christ. And that's how Jesus' parable today helps us. It helps us to think about how we look at other people, how we, how we label them. Makes us ask the question, should a person forgiven in the eyes of God still be labeled as a sinner by mankind, by, by you? Jesus' parable of the two debtors makes us look at two things. First, how we react to Jesus Christ and his work. And second, how this love of God affects our love for him and for our neighbor. The parable of the two debtors is short, it's cutting, and it draws us in. It draws us right in to see the reality of our salvation. The real effects of Jesus Christ's work. I preach you the gospel under this theme Jesus Christ associates with sinners. He reveals this in the face of a self-righteous sinner, in the embrace of a repentant sinner, and in the place of our merciful God. We've seen it, I think it was last week Sunday in the afternoon when we looked at how we understand our self-awareness, we, how we see ourselves and Sometimes we, we get it wrong. We, we think we're something different than we really are. Maybe an example is when, when I'm singing, maybe I think I'm singing wonderfully uh, in my own ears. It sounds well, but to the people around me, they might think differently. And that's the worst case or the best case scenario. That, that lack of self-awareness is, is perhaps annoying for people around me. But in the case of sinning, this lack of awareness is damning. Not recognizing who we really are is one of the struggles in our human nature that Jesus addresses in our text today. And we know our own struggles with this. We, we looked at that, we, we read the Word of God, we, we hear a sermon. But unless we make a conscience, conscious effort, we have a, a lot of difficulty applying that word to ourselves. We're not like that, we think. And then we might add, I hope so-and-so across the church is listening to this sermon. It would be really good for them. 
And in Luke 7, verses 36 to 50, we are giving a very, a very clear picture of the impact that Jesus' parables and his teaching had on some people. Luke 7, verse 36 begins by telling us that the Lord Jesus was invited to have dinner with, at a Pharisee's house. And Jesus accepted the invitation, and then we read he reclined at a table. So that reminds us that it's likely that the meal was held in the courtyard with large wooden bowls on a low table or the ground in the center of a circle of low couches. And the guests at the feast would recline in their individual couches, leaning on their left arm with their feet pointing backward to the outside of the circle. So the food in the middle and everybody reclining with their feet pointing outward. And such a meal would be commonplace for the Pharisees to meet together, to have theological discussions, or to hear the teaching of a rabbi that was passing through their area. Perhaps Jesus was invited for that very reason that he was a, a traveling teacher. Although it seems that the host, whose name was Simon, had other intentions as well. Most often, if a man of importance was invited, proper etiquette required the host to give him a kiss in greeting. A man of higher learning was kissed on the hands. After the guest had taken off his sandals, a servant would come around and wash off his dusty feet. And often the head was anointed with, with a refreshing drop of olive oil. In our own culture, we have similar ways of showing proper etiquette, of receiving someone into our homes. It's important to give words of welcome when a guest rings on the doorbell, to invite them in, to take their coats, to, to say, come on in to this room or, or that room, or just doing this to explain uh, what you're doing. If you're not shown those common pleasantries, uh, you're left to fend for yourself, or the, from the doorbell ring to the couch, you feel, especially if you don't know the person very well, you feel a little unwelcome, a little uncomfortable. This was more so in Jesus' day, where that shared meal was a central part of the culture and society, where uh, the levels of, of status and respect and appropriate humility were especially expected. It's possible then that Simon was trying to snub Jesus or to humiliate him a little bit or to at least put him in his place. This upstart teacher walking around, coming into the great Pharisee's home, should know that he's not at the same level as the rest of the Pharisees. In any case, Jesus was at the Pharisee's house for a meal. And we're told this just after we are told in verse 34, that Jesus was called a friend of gluttons, drunkards, tax collectors, and sinners. And that he, unlike John, came as one who was eating and drinking. So Simon might actually be quite pleased with himself and succeeding in getting Jesus, the young rabbi, out of the, the houses of those tax collectors and those sinners for at least this meal, this honorable meal with, with a Pharisee would be a healthy break for this Jesus, definitely a helpful step to success for the young rabbi. 
All this is at play behind what we're reading in the text. And we can imagine then Simon, perhaps feeling a little smug, surveying the guests lounging around the big spread before them. And then we read, behold, but, but, but look, but look, what's, what's this? He, he's looking around, everything's all nicely arranged. When one of the sinners in the town stepped toward Jesus, Luke tells us that she heard that Jesus would be there. It's likely that she noticed how Jesus was reclining on his couch in humility, having been shown no welcome. And either in her hand or in a, a little flask hung around her neck, there is a little jar of perfume. And this little jar is made of alabaster. We read it's a type of white stone. And Simon sees her standing at the Lord Jesus' feet, and, and she's making a bit of a scene. She's crying so much. She's kissing his feet. What, what's going on in my house, thought Simon. And who is that? Who's that kiss? Oh, no, it, it couldn't be. But it is. It's one of the sinners in town. What does that mean? We, we don't know. Perhaps she was a prostitute or an adulteress. Perhaps she was married to a tax collector. Perhaps she was someone with an unclean job. Maybe she was in debt. We don't know, but she was known as a sinner. All Simon can see is the big red light flashing. Sinner, sinner, sinner in my house. What a scene. And Simon thinks to himself as he sees this, he thinks, aha, I got him. All these people wondering if Jesus is a prophet. Just because he raised one person from the dead. Well, thinks Simon, I have just proven that he is not a prophet. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. That's what Luke tells us. He tells us the thoughts of the self-righteous man looking upon a sinner, perhaps even kind of holding up a mirror for us as we are reading. But now look at verse 40. It says that Jesus answered him. Simon's conclusions, his thoughts in his mind are answered. While Simon is thinking in his mind that Jesus is unable to discern one person from another to disprove that he's a prophet, the Lord Jesus goes ahead and answers his thoughts. Politely, the Lord Jesus draws Simon attention, uh, Simon's attention, and Simon, politely calling him teacher, we read that in verse 40, gives him the floor. And some suggest that Simon calls Jesus teacher to highlight the inconsistency of what he claims to be and what has just happened there. This woman is crying at his, teach and, uh, at his feet and, and the Lord Jesus talks to Simon and he says, yes, teacher. It's uh, perhaps done with a tone of admonition when someone says reverend with the sense of I expect a uh, a little more from the man of the cloth. Yes, teacher. Possible that Simon could have spoken in private with Jesus somewhere, but he allows this to be a matter for all ears. He thinks he's got the Lord Jesus trapped. Teacher, speak up, he says. And then the Lord Jesus tells a parable. 
This is instruction calling Simon to understand his place, to understand the meaning of grace. In just 20 words, the Lord Jesus turns the whole situation on its head and makes Simon give the right judgment about the situation. He says, think about this. He tells the parable, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One of them owned, uh, owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. And we notice that our Lord Jesus speaks of two kinds of debtors. Some owe more, some owe less. Indeed, on the surface, it appears that there are some people who are more sinful in their lives and others who are less sinful in their lives. But Jesus' point is simple. They both are debtors. They both are unable to pay. The point of both being in the same boat is the center of that, that parable. It's very important. It doesn't matter what, what it looks like. If you are unable to pay, you come to the same end. You, you are in the same state. You are deserving of the same punishment. And so Jesus flips the scene around for Simon. And so he's telling Simon, he says, Simon, you know what? Right now, in this house of an upstanding Pharisee, I am eating with sinners. I am in the house of a sinner. A debtor is a debtor no matter what he owes. And the Lord Jesus associates with sinners. That's the gospel message for Simon. That's the gospel message for us. Even in the face of self-righteous arrogance and ignorance of our own need, the gospel comes to us. Jesus Christ shows us mercy. But when he comes to you, you will see that he does not accept the understanding that you have of yourself. He did not accept the Pharisees' understanding of himself he went further, and he showed the Pharisee that actually the sinful woman was closer to God and his kingdom than the self-righteous Pharisee. Jesus associates with sinners, even self-righteous sinners. But he expects us to understand who he is, to, to come to an understanding of who he is, to understand how he changes us. And there our Lord Jesus is in the, in the embrace of a repentant sinner. And Luke describes the actions of the sinner in the town very carefully. Because we read that she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, it seems clear that her intention was to show gratitude to Jesus. She came there to express her thanks. And that makes it very likely that she has heard the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ before. There had been previous contact and contact, and now she is expressing her thanksgiving. And it's likely then that she is among those mentioned in chapter 7, verse 29, who acknowledged that Jesus was right. She is a woman who has learned of the grace of God to sinners. And now having heard where the Lord Jesus was, she, she came to express her thankfulness. 
Standing behind Jesus, we read, she begins weeping, tears of grief for her sinfulness, tears of joy for forgiveness. That the picture is a picture of an outburst of emotion welling up from her insides as she sees who she is and what Jesus Christ has done and, and the tears are spilling out on Jesus' feet. And there, overcome with emotion, she sees the, the, the water of her tears mixing with the dust on Jesus' feet and it doesn't look nice and she reacts by, by untying her hair and drying his feet with her own hair. That was very unladylike, to loosen your hair. In fact, it was even a sign of flirtation, an action that probably simply confirmed for all those Pharisees that they were not wrong in seeing her as a sinner. However, the Lord Jesus knows that this woman is so overcome with joy that her appearance no longer concerns her. Here is a humble woman taking away all the airs. And this woman humbled, or this humble woman begins kissing his feet. And we read continually, not ceasing, over and over and over in abject humiliation, sincere worship, the feet of her, her Savior. We get a picture of a woman prostrate before her Lord and Savior, and then taking her bottle of expensive perfume, the woman pours this out on Jesus' feet. Even the most honored guest in Jesus' day didn't have his feet anointed. It would be a little drop of oil on, on the head, and, and not expensive perfume, but just common olive oil. In the, in the face of a self-righteous sinner, the Lord Jesus finds himself in the embrace of a repentant sinner, a sinner who fully expresses her sincere, emotional, and lovingly deliberate devotion to Jesus Christ. And Simon's question hasn't been answered yet. How could Jesus allow this to happen? He can't get over what he knows about that woman. He knows that 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 woman, Simon knows that that woman belongs to a class of despised sinners. Simon knew too much about this woman's life to, to ever be able to cast a kindly eye upon her. And that's sometimes what happens to us as well. Self-righteousness and arrogance doesn't come from nowhere. You can think of a break in a relationship between friends, it's it's often because you have been together for some time and because you know a lot about a person, including their weaknesses, that the relationship, when the relationship goes sour, it's this knowledge of all they have done that, that keeps you separated. You think that other people just don't understand the sinfulness of that person. The church must not know all that this person does. It doesn't know how they're viewed in society or else they would, would cut them off, get rid of that person. How quickly we judge a person based on the sins they have committed and how quickly we forget the reality of Jesus' work, the, the reality of the forgiveness of sins. Simon just knows too much about her 
to be able to see her as anything as a sinner. Sorry, I, I know too much, he's thinking. Well, Jesus' parable addresses Simon's thoughts, but it does not accept Simon's thoughts about this woman. The Christian faith is not about judging the worthiness of one individual over another in the sight of God. Jesus Christ does not accept our haughty judgment of sinners when they've repented. Jesus Christ teaches this to Simon in the parable of the two debtors. Both, he says, both were sinners and unable to pay. That means that Simon is right in seeing this woman as a sinner, but that he also was a sinner. They both could not pay, and then God did more. God brought mercy and forgiveness through his only son. This was the gospel that our Lord Jesus Christ was preaching. This was the gospel that the woman believed. And the woman in our text received this mercy, so Simon was now wrong to see her as a sinner. Perhaps, as you were reading, you too considered the woman in our text to still be a sinner. But her love for Jesus Christ shows us we're wrong. There had been forgiveness. And the Lord Jesus asked Simon a cutting question, now which of them will love him more? Which debtor will be more thankful? And Simon begins his answer with, I suppose. Keeps the matter a point of discussion rather than something he feels strongly about. And then he gives the obvious answer. And Jesus commends Simon's second judgment of this situation. He says, yes, Simon, now you have judged correctly. The person who is forgiven the biggest debt will also be the more thankful. And now Jesus flips the situation on its head again because already he has made it clear that Simon is like everyone else and a sinner, but Jesus pushes the matter even further. He draws attention to the woman by turning toward her. You know how it is when someone turns and everybody kind of looks to where the, the speaker is turning and he draws the eyes of everyone to the woman but he speaks to Simon. And the rebuke is given in a gentle manner, and Jesus proceeds to explain how this woman has far surpassed Simon in showing simple respect to him as a guest. It says it. Simon didn't even give water so Jesus could wash his own feet. There was no kiss of greeting. There was no anointing. But the, the, the woman had far exceeded all signs of proper manners and shown downright honest love. And what is Jesus' point in pointing this out? He says, therefore I tell you, her many sins are forgiven. Her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And so the Lord Jesus is telling us what he sees in this woman's response. He sees the very love that he had just gotten Simon to see in this woman's behavior. Look, we notice that our Lord Jesus does not look back and see a woman plagued with sin, does not see a woman made ugly by the labels of self-righteous sinners, her crimes against society. 
Jesus Christ is not looking anymore at a, at a woman who is rebelling against God and persisting in her own way, but he sees a woman forgiven from her sins. And he sees it by the evidence of her transformation. Our Lord Jesus loves, he associates with humble, repentant sinners. And he brings the full gospel to his church. You see, Jesus Christ's forgiveness is not just something we talk about. It's something that changes our lives. It changes who we are. He takes you out of slavery and brings you to freedom, out of mockery to worship, from shame to joy, from hatred to exceeding love. Does a parable teach us that it makes a difference how many sins you commit in your life? Jesus indicates that the one of the debtors actually owed less, and it seems maybe a compliment to the Pharisee, perhaps it is. However, the focus of the parable is not on how much people showed hatred to Christ, whether they showed a little bit of hatred or a lot of hatred by their sins, but rather the focus is on the amount of love that comes from a forgiven heart. And Jesus gives a critical warning to Simon. Simon, you are a man who loves less. Simon loves less because like a tone-deaf singer who thinks he sings good, Simon is unaware of his need. And in God's eyes, it's not a matter of how many sins you commit, but how aware you are of your sinfulness and, and your need, how honest you are with yourself. Do you realize that our sins grieve the Lord? And that without forgiveness, whether you commit one sin or, or one million sins, you are barred from the presence of God from eternity because you cannot pay. That was the problem with Simon. He did not think he needed Jesus Christ. He thought he was doing okay, that forgiveness was not that necessary. I mean, he would tell you, he would say, well, look at my life. It all looks fine. Look how nice I am, how generous I got you in my house. We must not reject the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ because, in, because we think we're fine. We also must not hold on to a debt that is forgiven in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves and not in another. Forgiveness is real. And the irony of the, the parable in this situation is heightened when we realize that Jesus is no longer associating with two debtors. The woman was no longer a sinner in his eyes. Only those who continue in their stubborn arrogance continue to be, remain in the, in the sins and sinners in the eyes of God. The weary woman that Simon saw as a sinner was now no longer a sinner because she humbly received her Lord and, and, and the Lord saw her as an innocent one washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and he could see that forgiveness in the change in her life. We shouldn't Make forgiveness a theoretical thing. Sometimes we talk about it that way. We receive forgiveness from God and, well, 
Life continues. It's the same old, same old on the outside, but maybe there's a nice feeling inside. We do whatever we want, and then we say, well, I'm forgiven. I live in forgiveness. However, in our text, the Holy Spirit teaches us that everyone who understands their forgiveness, who embraces Jesus Christ in that humility, is so filled with love that there is no way to miss them. You can come up and say, that person is forgiven in Jesus Christ. I can see it. Till they come to experience the sincere joy and thankfulness to God, Jesus continues to associate with sinners. But after they turn to him in humility, he comforts us, he encourages us as the forgiven. It all comes down to how we react to Jesus Christ. The third thing, I'll try to keep it quick, that we need to pay close attention to this morning. Jesus Christ affirms the forgiveness of sins of the woman because she shows love to him. Think about being one of the guests at that table. They're sitting around the table, and they notice right away Jesus Christ judges the behavior of Simon and the woman according to how they treated him. Not how they, they viewed God in heaven, but how they reacted to Jesus, the man reclining at a table in Simon's house. The woman responded correctly, expressed devotion, love, commitment, without any fear of men. She fell down at his feet. She worshipped Jesus Christ as Savior. She recognized that Jesus Christ was in the place of, of God himself. And that's why we worship Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is the Son of God. He is the difference between eternal life and eternal condemnation. We as believers need to go beyond the, the God talk where we forget the work of Jesus Christ. Simon is rebuked for treating Jesus Christ in a wrong way. He failed to recognize that Jesus Christ was a Savior. And the crowd is shocked that Jesus claims this authority. We read that. Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus had the crowd murmuring because the message leaves no room for Ambivalence for, for trying to decide what to, for, for more than one response. Do you love the message of forgiveness of sins? Do you love the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are, is that why you're here? Because of the work of Jesus Christ. Do you worship your Savior as you gather together in this building? then you can know that your sins are forgiven in him. Then you can be that joyful one on your knees before the Lord Jesus, completely forgiven in his work, knowing that God in heaven looks down upon you and he sees one who is innocent and pure and clean in his sight. 
our loving, merciful Savior stands in the peace of God. In the place of God. And he gives us peace. He tells the woman at the end, go walk around, live your life in peace. And that peace fills our hearts with joy. That peace affects all our relationships, keeps judgment and condemnation far from us as if it's up to us, shows us that forgiveness is real. If Jesus Christ can see a repentant sinner as innocent in the eyes of God, then Jesus Christ sees you as forgiven. And you will know this, and you will love. And you do not need to look at others with disdain and resentment, but you'll know who you are. We believe that we believe that Jesus Christ's work has a transforming effect on people. When you remove the ugly sin, we know people who are set free from the labels, from the names, and they're given new names. Righteous, holy saints in Jesus Christ. Let us show this in our lives. Amen.